Breaking news. Uh, there's breaking British news. Uh, the story that no British, no British news organization can stop talking about. It's at the heights of our political and, and media uh, discussion over here. It is absolutely all over the airwaves. Scandal. Yes, that's right. Scandal in London and British politics. That's right. Matt Hancock gets COVID for second time as he tells awesome. fans he's self-isolating, <laughs> uh, says Yahoo News. He's, he's um, going for the Bolsonaro. Yes. He's going for the yeah. record. And I, for one, support our special boy. Well, it's, I, I think in, in terms of like trying to beat Bolsonaro for record uh, number of times, number of different uh, COVID strains that have mutated actually are unique to living inside him and can't live outside him. Matt Hancock is like, He's the main character of the inspirational sports movie, and he's the underdog now, but he's just going to believe in himself so hard that he is going to absolutely destroy Bolsonaro's the world COVID Olympics. Bolsonaro has an advantage because he actually has like 50 headmates who each have a different kind of COVID. Yeah. That's right. No, but uh, but look, uh, for, look. I'm just happy that Matt Hancock has taken the time to reach out to his fans, us, us, specifically, yeah. specifically <laughs> us, and tell and tell us that he's okay. He's just self isolating again. And my God, you can't move for discussion of this is story. Is Yahoo News like Yahoo Answers, where just anyone can go on there and write what the news is? Yep. Matt, I hear Matt Hancock is yeah. reaching out to his fans. Yeah. I'd, uh, get 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 well soon, man. Yes, uh, we are all we are all pulling for you. Uh, we, for you, King. We, we'll go, we'll do a whip round in case you need to go to the vet. Uh, get your mm. hip display. Get your <laughs> hip, hip display should dealt with. Yeah, that's right. We're sending Matt Hancock to the big horse vet. <laughs> that's right. And no, the, the new market <laughs> jockeys enclosure. Absolutely. No. Uh-huh. Um. Hi, everyone. It's it's TF. It's uh, mm. Riley, Alice, Hussein, and Milo, and we have a special guest this week. Returning champion, Alex Press. Alex, how's it going? It's great. How are you guys? Oh, very, very well. Th- well, uh, very well, except for... No, not not yeah. great. Our friend has COVID for the second time. <laughs> yeah. our friend. This guy <laughs> we're a fan I'm of. Sorry. I feel like pure shit just on him back. Our idol. You have a parasocial relationship with that. That's right. I think over the years of doing this podcast, I sort of do. We basically do. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I subscribe to like his like $15 tier on Patreon. He sends me a nice message once a month. So <laughs> yeah. I'm much closer to him. Yeah, I love on the... On- I feel like... You could get COVID from him to bring you guys closer together. Oh, that's a good that's idea. Right. Hancock yeah, variant. we should all we should all bug chase Matt Hancock. Absolutely. Mm. No, that's <laughs> right. Just, just hitting Matt Hancock raw. No, um, in the hopes of getting oh, some of that. That is that is just disgusting. Just so vulgar. <laughs> how dare you demean da- Matt Hancock <laughs> like that? How dare you? First of all, yeah. Sorry, I would let him hit me raw. Uh, Your Honor, no, I retract it is gross. It is gross to talk about Matt Hancock in those terms. That's right. It's not. It's not right. <laughs> wow. It's basically pedophilia. He has the mind of a child. And to those people, I say good evening. Uh, um, can I before we start? <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, I if you if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, which is Tuesday. That's right. Uh, I have a smoke comedy this evening. What are you doing this evening? Throw it away and go to that instead. Uh, There's a link to my website Uh in the description where you can buy that. Also, on the 1st of February, I will be doing a preview of my show, uh, Voicemail, which has changed a lot since the last time it was in London because I did it around the country. So so you're you're doing your your plugs up front now. I'm doing the plugs up front. Yeah, Uh fuck you. You want to listen to the podcast? Well, get through the advertising, bitch. Well, I'm Um, sure all the the American listeners, especially uh, many of the Americans who follow Alex for uh, labor journalism updates mm. at Amazon and so on, are going to be like, I got to get to London in six hours. (laughs) It's called (laughs) a plane. (laughs) 
Get on one. <laughs> How much do you even like this podcast? Come on. That's right. <laughs> Prove it to me. So why we why we have uh, Alex here with us today uh, is we're going to talk about Amazon a little bit and especially trying to because you can never talk about all of Amazon all at once. Um, no, yeah. this is our second Alex Amazon yeah. episode, which you put in the notes as Alex Press Amazon Two. And when I read this, I had a brief moment of terror that they had invented an Amazon Two. Oh no! Half day delivery. <laughs> uh, half day delivery. Uh, but um, you know, you have to actually replace your um, body with a robot body to work there. Mm. Amazon Two, Tokyo. And it's Drift. a clone of Bezos yeah. running it. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's He's debuting. And they, and they they shall vie for global domination. One's on the moon. It's a whole thing. But uh, and 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 what we what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom in a little bit and think about Amazon as the organization that has that is controlling not just these vast swaths of infrastructure distributing labor around the country, but how it acts as a controller of people's livelihoods, looking at their HR department and how they, how they use that to an almost weaponized form of incompetence, similar to something like the DWP in Britain, uh, to you know, continue keeping the boot on labor's neck, essentially. Mm. Um, Unfortunately... Yes. We live in Britain, yes. and therefore we have to engage somewhat <laughs> with the news of this awful country. And there have been two big instances of news. Mm. Oh, uh, no. I think we should we should have our dessert before our vegetables and talk about the fun one first, yeah. which is that Prince Andrew is now Just uh, Andrew. A, a private. It's a private citizen. Yeah. Uh, he's still the Duke of York. He still gets mm. to live in the palace and everything, mm. but. Uh, for legal reasons, due to being no longer uh, has ten thousand men. Yeah, no, that's right. Exactly, the queen <laughs> took his ten thousand men away from him. I mean, the good of... thing is now the, the good thing is now he can come yeah, on podcasts, right? Mm. right? He's, so... been, he's been unmuzzled. He can go on Compound yeah. Media in New York, Mom's basement. No, he's going to go on Legion of Skanks. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, but no, I, I will say, uh, Alex, as someone seeing this whole sort of psychodrama around like the British royal family unfold from overseas, right? Seeing like and Prince Andrew is now facing like. Not personal. Now, as having to not even face a consequence necessarily, but stuff is happening to him. How does this strike you? I'll be honest with you. It doesn't strike me at all. I don't pay attention to the royal family. That's wise. I hate to tell you. That's right. That's the best possible answer. I hate to tell you you're being provincial, but I truly have not been paying attention. I saw, you know, he's going to be like um, tarred and feathered in the streets or something. Uh, We can only hope. He's been uh, disowned by his mother, basically. Is that what's going on? Essentially. Well, no, it's. what What if your relationship with your mother was predicated on you, like, being the patron of the UK Chiropractic Association and like nine other trade bodies, army regiments, having, like, yeah, having like a fake army yeah. role, and that your relationship with your mother was predicated on you doing a bunch of fake jobs. He's lost those fake jobs, basically. Yeah, Buckinghamshire's in first mm-hmm. nonce rifles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and, 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 and more, more to that, right? I think once again, what's happening is kind of uh, a shadow play of accountability because. What people always forget is that institutions don't protect the people inside them. Institutions protect institutions. And how mm. an institution protects itself is by protecting the people in them until it has to spit one out. And You're yeah. saying this is a limited hangout, yeah. if you and like. And so I think what's, what we're really seeing is, is that like the thing that enabled him to do all of the things that he allegedly would have done is protecting itself from consequences. 
What a beautiful sentence structure. The things that he would allegedly have done were he in a position to have allegedly done them. Yeah. But he had he done those things, then he would have been able to have been able to do them. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is a, this is armor that is ablative. It is it, it is the Prince yeah. Andrew, the royal heat shield. Yeah, more or less. You know, uh, and so I think this is, and if you want to talk about shadow plays of accountability, I think it doesn't get any better than uh, Boris Johnson uh, getting in hot water for throwing another lame party a year ago. Yeah, um, and not in the hot tub at the party, which yeah. would have been the cool way of exactly. getting in hot water. You no, know, just basically getting together with some people in the Downing Street Garden and having some drinks. Again, photos that were taken a year ago that have just been released to the press now. Again, palace coup. British British politics yeah. is a snobs versus slobs comedy where the snobs are like the blue tick journalists and the slobs are like the Tory cabinet. And they're just like, oh, well, we're at the slob house. They're having a hot tub party again. <laughs> we're going to call the dean. Well, what actually is happening, though, is it's... Well, the yeah. thing is, right, I, I I know we always say, ah, I'd like to see Boris wiggle his way out of this one, and then he does, right? But, like, there is now this sort of, uh, you know, attitude within the press and also within the Conservative Party that this is the thing that's just going to finish him, right? Like, it's it's over for Boris at this point. And I, I want to seriously consider something, which is whether or not we're owned, right? Because... We, uh, like, our consistent policy on these parties has been, this is stupid, this is a sideshow, yes, it's insulting, but it's like the fifth most insulting thing he did that day. Uh, who gives a shit? But, like, even without the media, like, full court press, even without the internal Tory knives, this does seem to be the thing that has, like, angered a lot of people. And I wonder, do we just not understand the British public? I mean, that's no bad thing. I don't want to understand the British public. Being, <laughs> but like, so I, I want to um, again. I want to sort of turn to turn to Alex as the external uh, uh, perspective here. Sort of someone who may have you've seen this in passing. There are now some New York Times articles about like Boris's slipping grip. Right? Does that the fact that the this entire the entire nation basically is mad that someone had a party when they technically weren't allowed to and is prepared to change the government over it again as like someone who's not british does that strike you as insane i mean i'm in the united states i have no right to call a people insane mm. i mean sounds like snitch culture has just uh is on the rise you know people can't have parties that's happening here too we are a so nation i have to stand with boris that is very true oh yeah i think that's yeah. an accurate I mean, portrayal it's, it's 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 hypocritical but like everything that boris johnson has ever done in his life has been hypocritical so people are people are really mad beyond the journalists and the press. It genuinely seems so. Like uh, the polling sort of seems to reflect this. Also, the conservatives have like lost people over this. Which look, mm. the people of this country have you... spoken clearly, and what they want is a man they could <laughs> never imagine having a party. Me, Sir Keir Starmer. <laughs> <laughs> can you describe this party for oh, me? Oh, can I ever? Oh, lit as fuck. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. Have you ever seen the film Eyes Wide Shut? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like no, that. Yeah. No, right. Okay. So, what basically talking about is about seventy or so civil servants having some like supermarket wine uh, in like the garden behind the townhouse that the government happens in. In Brit, it basically is just it's sort of like um a bit. It seemed a bit studenty to be honest. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just a bit mm. like and all of these sca- what's the, the the thing that I find funniest about all of these scandals is is like every single like, you know, get together that happens. Number 1 is preceded by an invitation that's like, "Hey everyone, shall we get together while it's illegal? Don't leak this to the press." And then by the way, they didn't for like a year until it became politically useful for like the rest of what you like the British establishment, British capital, whatever you want to call it, to get rid of this guy who's like not can't run the country predictably or well and they actually did have the discipline to sit on it for like a year or more Mm, they're disciplined Mm. little freaks in the tory party you know they've got it down absolutely and i hate to say it but michael fabricant made a good point about this which is that like all of these people worked together and saw each other every day anyway like it's it's like an entirely like it's an entirely rules-based quibble like oh were you doing this and it looks bad but no one's actually contending that this is some kind of super spreader event or like it's purely like the rules i'll tell you why right number one the thing i find most funny about all of these parties the christmas party this one that they a they just couldn't help themselves from having yeah these parties but they were all so fucking sad looking yeah <laughs> like i just I, i'll remember just like that senior civil servant sitting beside boris johnson with his head next to his chest like looking half asleep wearing a little tinsel crown and just oh, looking God. just like a face of death as long as i'll live <laughs> so these are like Crappy red solo cups, store bought wine for the grocery Absolutely. store. There's like Absolutely. spin the bottle, but it no one wants bring to your kiss own Boris. Bottle. It genuinely okay. was bring your own <laughs> bottle. Right. It was a party where they didn't serve alcohol. It, but it's because just so. 10 Downing Street is Sharia and they won't serve you alcohol. You have to bring <laughs> it yourself. I, I think, like, you know, this also gives us, I, I think, a little bit of a, 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 a an insight into, like, because Alice, as you raised this question, well, what does this actually mean? I mean, yeah, and are yeah. we? Owned? I think you can. We can talk about a, a little bit of a theory of how like Br- British political culture operates, like the state and the media being one entity, right? And 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 this the theory and how they promulgate a theory of politics where this is the greatest sin, because the theory of politics that they that they have uh, that, that that you might call the British establishment media theory of politics, British British realism, whatever, is the theory of politics that. You have if you don't really think of yourself as political and you kind of read the news, right? Because all these events are all these events are interpreted for you by people whose lens is basically this. And so when we talk about media manipulation, we're not just talking about individual lies or stories, but one story spun one way or another or whatever. What you're talking about is a whole worldview, right? A whole form of realism um, that has been like, you know, we've had basically, I don't know, as long as we've had a press. And the British realist view, I think, sees the... It's like the British realist view of the world, right? Sees the actual bad things that someone like Boris Johnson does, or like something that the British state does, right? These things that ca- are cause untold amounts of suffering uh, and, and death and all this as inevitable, unconnected with one another, fundamentally moral. Like, for example, the Brit... Or, yeah. or that happened to, you know, people who you don't think of as yeah. human. I mean, that's, uh, that's the thing that underlies all of why they never connect this stuff, right? Because you don't think of people in other countries as human, then you can imagine that we have to bomb them to keep us safe. But then when they come to us as refugees because we bombed their country, that the refugees are dangerous. So we have to do more bombing to keep ourselves safe, right? That these these fundamentally incommensurable positions just line up in British realism because these big things are not worth your time to understand. They're too complicated. If anyone tries to ex- tries to link them together, they're condescending to you. Uh, it's a way of seeing the world, I think, that is pushed by a class of deeply uh, paranoid, resentful, cruel, and stupid people 
And it's a deeply resentful, paranoid, and cruel, stu- and stupid worldview. And so, mm. all the, so you never, so it, it, so 120,000, 150,000 dead from austerity never sort of breaks through. The concept of social murder never breaks through because anyone trying to explain social murder to you is condescending to you. Uh, and also, oh, we had to do that. And oh, you're just manipulating. But what this is, is this is a personal slight, right? This is someone, oh, this is someone who is having a good time at your expense, or it feels like someone's having a good time at your expense. And I think, and also the other fact, right, that one of the other sort of forms of British realism, right, that you um, that you see, is that you're supposed to take things in politics personally and only personally. And so when I don't know Jeremy Corbyn, like you know, gives gives like those and does like a soup kitchen on Christmas, he's not doing that because he wants to. He's doing that to make you feel bad for you know having a big lunch. Yeah, he's doing it to own you. Mm. And so. And it's and I, well, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that like the people who are in this situation are stupid and cruel or whatever. I'm not saying that. It's that the ideology that is swirling around the sort of the British mainstream opinion, British mainstream press, is pushed to be that. And when we think about media manipulation, I tend to think of it in this big, big, big sense of the lens that is given to people to view the world, and we are being given a very stupid and cruel lens that is very quick to take offense and is deeply, deeply insecure and looking for personal slights. And then, and what Boris Johnson did, this member of the sort of British media establishment, one of the creators of British realism, has committed its, the greatest personal sin, which is he has, he has, uh, 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 in, he has indicated through his actions that he thinks he's better than you. And there is no, and that's, and the last person who did that was Jeremy Corbyn. Because the most fundamental British energy is not, I want to be having as good a time as you. It's, I want you to be having as bad a time as me, which yeah. has been exemplified through all the reactions. <laughs> like, I saw one blue tick guy on Twitter who was going like, Boris Johnson was having a party on the very day when my wife and I were debating whether she was allowed to come for a walk with my son and I outside because she'd oh already been for a run that morning. And it's like, are you an idiot? Do you have the brain of a dog? Like, that was a rule that people were Actually, joking yeah. about because everyone just ignored it because it was obviously stupid. Like, if you were actually obeying that rule, you're the idiot. Like, I think it's actually very based on you let your wife out once. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually for like Mormon yeah. reasons, but, not for like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because you know, not not British specific, but like the joy of celebrity culture that exists is like. What about a world where there is no material suffering or scarcity, right? Everyone has money and is an elite. And then you can get joy about like the grudges and the pettiness and these people are fighting. This is like the Real Housewives franchise, right? What if everyone's problems weren't actually a big deal? Then they would be entertaining. But applying it to politicians and people who actually are inflicting harm. Yeah, I mean, it's just an incredibly elitist view where, in fact, no one is suffering really all that matters is has someone slighted you today yeah. or said the wrong well, thing. I think the I think the concept of elitist is a good one, right? It's that I think the the other sort of again this 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 sort of this this re, this way of seeing the world that is promulgated by the British establishment is Boris may be a liar, the country may be cruel, we may be killing people with austerity, we may be killing people overseas, but it's on your behalf, you know, voter, hmm. you know, like um. All for yeah. you, Damien. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so the, the the message to like I don't know, middle aged conservative homeowning uh, voters has always been we're gonna be a massive piece of shit for you. And this time it's they're being shown being a massive piece of shit 
or, or like again on the basis of pure like rule following ideology i guess but not on anyone's behalf but their own and again like the, they were never being a massive piece of shit on behalf of anyone but like you know themselves and capital and whatever but this is i think why if you want to ask the question why did this cut through this is i think my best explanation i can give um so we're not owned a nation of hall monitors oh for sure 100 percent Absolutely. Maybe maybe that's like the re because I don't think like hall monitors is a thing in like most British schools, right? I <laughs> guess like prefects. I guess you have like Yeah, nation yeah, well, no, of prefects. I, yeah, but those are only in like certain types of schools, and you also know the kinds of people that become prefects, right? So I think for like the vast like a lot of the country, they never sort of got that type of like hall monitor situation that, you know, when you're young and you're sort of given this arbitrary power because you're good to miss, like you're good to miss every so often. Um, I think like, so yeah, because most people have never been given that level of arbitrary power, when you are given it, suddenly you get this like rush to your head, right? And I think, yeah, I think that kind of like feeds into the pathology. It's also very funny that the Americans would have a workman-like term, like hall monitor, like, oh yes, the child who monitors the hall, whereas the British are like, the prefectus, the Latin one made foremost among the children. <laughs> yeah, it was actually like lunchroom quaestor. <laughs> I was the pro-console of yeah. the break room. <laughs> That's right. I, actually, I had, uh, I had Prowinkia over uh, the, uh, the sports field. Yeah, you're actually immune from, uh, from prosecution while you hold the title title of prefect. Uh, so, <laughs> that's enough Britain for one day. Uh, and maybe ever. Who knows when oh we'll be God, free- isn't it Who ever? knows when we'll be free of it. I want to talk to Alex about what she knows about. Uh, that's right. Uh, Amazon. Uh, indie bookstore that we uh, that we all love. Yeah, the, and, uh, the, the, the company that we all love to like purchase our things Started from. in a garage by the son of Cuban immigrants. Yeah, that's right. That's what I hear. Uh, uh, so, I want to start with uh, some... Some of the developments that have happened since we last spoke, because many things that we talked about have kind of come to a head and, in fact, turned out sort of well. Uh, the, for example, the NLRB has ruled that um, the Bessemer uh, union vote will rerun because Amazon, for some reason, felt it needed to break New the rules. New England Patriots, <laughs> cheat even when you're going to win. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's what what's basically what's happening there? Yeah, so they're going to rerun the union election um, in Bessemer. The and both sides actually wanted an in-person vote this time. Um, last time it was Amazon who wanted in-person, and it was obviously the height of the pandemic. Now both sides, for different reasons, wanted it in person. The NLRB instead is doing mail-in ballots again. Um, I think their reasoning was still about COVID. Um, so those ballots go out February fourth, come back end of March. Um, I mean, it's good news in that Amazon did clearly break the law um, and, you know, completely broke the laboratory conditions that are required for a union election. I would just tell people who don't really, you know, fortunately, because they have hobbies or something, don't know the details of, you know, stats about union elections in the U.S. Rerun elections are harder to win than original elections, right? The sort of stalwarts of the union, many of them have left, right? They were being retaliated against after that union vote. Also, they work at Amazon so that, you know, they would have left anyway. Um, No one stays at these jobs long. So the rate of success is like 40% for reruns, whereas it's like two thirds of um, first time around union elections win. So I would just warn people not to expect um, that this is a, a slam dunk. I have no idea what the odds of winning are. Um, but that said, I mean, it is correct that, you know, they should have this rerun. And so that is now happening. Amazon, of course, has hired the best of the best anti-union consultants um, once again. Oh, they've got the Pinkertons in. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but the the other the other thing, right? And I think the thing that's sort of more more our focus, right? Is we, last time we we talked about this bill in California that was going to attempt to regulate algorithmically managed work. Um, and uh, AB seven zero one became law, and it basically and again, Alex, I welcome you to correct me if I'm wrong. It basically means that if you have if you manage via an algorithm like Amazon does, you have to disclose the productivity quotas to workers and to regulators. And workers can either say, "I think this is dangerous," and if you don't change it, they, you, the worker can then sue you to change it. Uh, have, have I described that more or less correctly? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about making sure that these algorithmically generated productivity quotas can't be used to prevent workers from, say, using the bathroom or taking legally mandated breaks, right? Um, that said, like, the devil is in the details of how you enforce this. How, you know, the, the business alliance that was opposed to this and did successfully water it down in some respects said that this is just going to encourage workers to file lawsuits, which, you know, is very unlikely, right? The amount of time and effort it takes to file a lawsuit with the state board is just incredible, um, but that said, yeah, I mean, this is about sort of getting some level of transparency at about something that Amazon and other companies say is like a trade secret. They don't want to disclose this. They deny it's a quota in the first place. Uh, but this is a step towards like democratic oversight about these working conditions. And yeah, it, it did pass into law. Um, and actually, the person who was behind it, Gonzalez, she has since left um, the legislature and gone to work directly for, I think, um, the California labor movement. I love to aggressively oppose regulation of a thing, which I also simultaneously claim does not exist and that I do not do. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's a bit like it's a bit like Prince Andrew simultaneously claiming that he's not a paedophile and also trying to get the lawsuit thrown on the, thrown out on the basis that she promised not to sue any paedophiles. <laughs> um, and it's sort of like a hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the um, it's, and and it's it's. I think it's interesting, right? Because it's this. On the one hand, it is removing it is removing some of their plausible deniability, right? That they aren't do that that they can say they aren't doing what they very clearly and obviously are doing, right? It removes some of that impenetrable shroud of secrecy. But as you say, Alex, right? If you think that your quota is going to prevent you from going to the bathroom or it's going to be dangerous, or whatever, you are now you. Um, you know, some guy are now welcome to sue Amazon in the majestic equality of the law. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's going to work out well. I, I like your chances, yeah. absolutely. I, it's because that that would would you say is that one of the sort of core issues you think? Yeah, I mean it is, and there were stronger provisions about a warehouse specific injury code um, that were removed. Um, that said, you know there are state regulators now who are empowered to sort of investigate warehouses that say they might be getting tipped off about. Um, from the workers. So there is, you know, some level of institutional support. It's not like an Amazon worker has to navigate this on their own. But that said, yeah, I mean, I, I always emphasize that it's, it's really hard to overstate the amount of the odds that you're up against if you feel like everyone in your warehouse is being overworked, even if you have it in writing that you're being overworked to make that case to an entity like Amazon is very difficult. Um, but, you know, it's, the thing you said about them like fighting a thing they say doesn't exist, I mean, it does show that they are, this is a concern, right? These companies don't want any sense that other people can have a say over their their profit generation or any of their sort of workplace models. Absolutely. And and the thing is, there's this this idea, this digital bossing, whatever you want to call it, algorithmic management. It's this that's being fought in the warehouse, but actually, and this is sort of where we get into the intentional and weaponized stupidity of organizations like Amazon 
it extends its tendrils through the organization entirely. It's in HR as well. Uh, it's it's throughout like um, and, and that's where we're going to focus today. In fact, right, because the Amazon makes its money right building infrastructure or a lot of its money building infrastructure and selling that infrastructure on to other businesses, right? Like Amazon Prime was Amazon's data center. They realized they could rent space out in it. Now they make huge amounts of money from Amazon Prime. They can they sell their infrastructural capabilities, all this stuff, right? Amazon Prime, excuse me, Amazon Web Services rather. Right. Right. This is this is all about building the infrastructure required for a business that has to do everything for everyone everywhere and then renting it out to other businesses. And I mean, some of that infrastructure isn't just about picking and packing. It's about calling in sick, taking leave, disputing a pay deduction, like all of these HR functions as well. And I mean, I actually, as as I as I often do, uh, I read some reports <laughs> before before doing this. And I mean, uh, some again, quite boosterish uh, research firms are claiming that yeah, like eighty percent of like the Fortune five hundred or like other like top five hundred companies, whatever, are going to start using. These digital managers, right? Algorithmic management, not just of looking at productivity quotas, but also hiring, firing, training, uh, management of time, and so on, right? And um, you know, Amazon hasn't yet sold the software that it uses to do this. We're going to talk about how that works in a bit to other companies, but Amazon has started selling tools designed to like to automate other tasks not in warehouses to other organizations. Uh, so AWS. Uh, recently announced a suite of products to like m- to not just um, to monitor uh, um, other kinds of factory lines, like not just warehouses and uh, call centers use Amazon's call center automation software, so that manages people at call centers as well. So it's trying to get more of its approach in to more of the economy, not just warehousing. And I mean, so Alex, I just want to ask, right? Like using HR as the example, what's Amazon's HR like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Amazon's HR is a, a mess. Like even within the HR world, like everyone sort of understands that this is a company that has just built separate systems and tried to operate them all at the same time. I mean, the sort of sympathetic view is this: this company is building so quickly; it's hiring literal like armies, entire cities worth of people at an astounding rate, and it hasn't actually integrated these various software systems within its HR. So there have been incredible reports like the New York Times has done a couple of long investigative pieces about this of the result of these systems not speaking to each other, say a system that tracks paid, you know, any kind of leave you might be on, whether vacation, disability leave, workplace comp, a workplace injury. That system doesn't necessarily talk to the system that's actually dealing with, you know, what's this worker's attendance and are they getting docked points for lateness? Often the result of this failure to integrate these systems is that workers are getting fired by the algorithm at just astounding rates. Like, you know, some of this reporting is just huge numbers of workers who are fired, they're kicked out of the system, they're told they've lost their job for failing to show up, even if they were on an agreed upon disability leave, say, or they were on, they had COVID and they were on an understood sick leave. Um, These systems don't talk to each other, right? And actually, you know, so I spoke to someone who worked in Amazon's HR and had just horror stories about her own working conditions there. Um, And, you know, as she told it from her sort of entry level position, answering these calls, she was placed in a position where she's not allowed to give a worker who calls her their case manager's information. She can't access the same systems that say the HR on the site at the warehouse can access. 
and those people at the warehouse can't access her system. So these systems aren't speaking to each other. And we're talking about armies of employees working in Amazon's HR. And so the result is that everyone sort of wrings their hands, is under stress. They, you know, they can't properly handle each worker's claims. And, you know, I mean, I think the reality that, you know, it's in that article I wrote speaking with this woman um, is that workers are suicidal. They can't pay rent. They can't eat. Um, they can't get anyone on the phone to even talk about having been accidentally or incorrectly fired. There's a new report actually just published today at NBC News about how during COVID now, workers are spending like nine hours on the phone trying to get on, to talk to a human being who works in Amazon's HR and they just get kicked off the phone. You know, they'll be on they're really on hold for like eight hours. Right. Um, one thing that she that these people who work in HR have told me is like, you know, a worker is spending their entire break trying to meet with the HR person at the warehouse and they run out of time. Right. I mean, famously, Amazon workers don't have enough break time. Um, and so that's how they're spending their days. They're just in a panic. Um, so Amazon, as the leader who's sort of exporting these software management tools, is a horror story. Right. Because they are absolutely not good or effective in any way. I'll, I'll tell you, you know where I recognize this approach to managing people who are say, having problems with maintaining in, their income is, right? It's the British Department- France, Kafka, yeah. or the Department for Work and Pensions, yeah. depending on what reference you want to make. Yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it strikes me as very similar to a, lot of the, to a lot of the way that the Department of Work and Pensions manages itself, one of which is to be sort of so difficult to work with and cruel and arbitrary that someone is, you're discouraged from, say, claiming benefits, for example, by just how hard it is to claim them, right? You know, if you are, say, unwell and at a doctor's appointment, you can tell one system that you're unwell and at a doctor's appointment, but it's so shittily cludged together that some other system will send someone to visit your house to make sure you're applying for jobs and will kick you off your benefits and you can't talk to anyone and it takes eight weeks to appeal and you get no money in the meantime, right? It's, it's the... What you wrote about there, it just... It's, it reminds me of... Um, of the of dealing with yeah like this institutions of a residualized welfare state. I was going to ask like Alex, uh, maybe like one thing I've been thinking about a bit, looking at like um other like social media platforms and not only they're like very bad HR, but also even when you're sort of like as a user trying to troubleshoot and how like impossible it is to do it once like platforms kind of reach a certain mass and like this kind of contradiction between like platforms who are like by design trying to chase like as many users as possible, like trying to kind of expand as much as possible. And in doing so, in order to kind of manage that user base in a way that like makes these platforms like valuable, so to speak, um, there's, you know, employing like algorithmic moderation systems, employing algorithmic um, like checking systems in the case of Amazon, employing like algorithmic hiring and firing systems that are designed to sort of be um, nebulous and decide like they're designed to sort of obfuscate and they're designed to disorientate. Right. I guess like the question that I have is like, you know, where we can talk about government departments um, being dysfunctional, like partly in the case of like certain councils, just like lack of funding and kind of like turning to technologies as a way of like cost cutting. You can't really apply that to places like Amazon because they clearly have the money. They have a lot of money. So like, is the system like designed by this on purpose, which is to say that like all the problems with, you know, HR and managing and everything, um, like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a trade-off that's sort of seen as necessary or at least acceptable in order to kind of keep the plat in order to kind of keep Amazon expanding and kind of attain it, like maintaining its monopoly status. 
Yeah, I mean, at the, in the case of Amazon, it's a matter of what is valuable to the executives, right? I mean, the idea that you need to retain these low-wage workers, certainly Bezos himself from the top has said he doesn't want to retain these workers. He said things that are incredibly insulting, like they're lazy. Um, these aren't the people we need to invest in. So, I mean, obviously having good HR for a company that has up until now almost an infinite labor pool to pull from isn't a priority, right? You can lose people, you can leave them to starve or be evicted. It's not your problem. You can always find new workers, right? There's no sense that you have to have functional systems beyond the legally mandated minimums, right? Um, So I think it's a sense of we don't need to invest here. You know, executives in the company have said that, you know, one chose to move to HR um, and was quoted in some New York Times story saying his colleagues thought that was insane. You know, this was like, the loser department, right? It wasn't a place that generates profits. So why would you want to focus your time there? Um, so I think in the sense of a, a profit, you know, a company that's motivated by profit, um, it's different than a government agency in many ways. But one is that there's just no reason that you would care. Now they're sort of forced to in part because they're getting, there's so much reporting about it. The other is that they're starting to actually run out of people to hire um, in certain locations, at least in the country, because they've expanded so quickly. And so uh, there is a sense of like, oh, we can't fully just be kicking people off the rolls by, you know, automated termination. Um, we actually do kind of need some of these people. It, what's what's interesting about that as well is that the what they seem to have, it's it's the the ideology of, you know, the people who do matter and the people who don't matter, how the people who make the decisions all talk to each other, but how the people who don't matter, who are on the sharp end of these systems, oh, well, they're lazy. Uh, they're they're shiftless. They would take advantage of us if we could, if they could, rather. You know, it seems like, and then that justifies. I mean, it, you know, the phrase "poor services are poor services." Uh, this justifies like have, making sure that when they interact with the company, you know, well, we can't make it too nice for them, or we don't care about making it nice for them because oh, if we made it super easy, it's I, I'm yeah, I don't I know I wonder if this is the case, right? Where it's like oh, if we made it too easy to call in sick, they'd all call in sick. You know, it's because it, you. You have to have like what it means is that you have a fear of and a disdain for like that's the that is like the two main feelings of I think uh, the two main elitist feelings is uh, fear and disdain and that's what causes you to design uh, a system like this right yeah I mean my tendency to, is to think less that it's about someone's you know inner feeling about you know the poor or the working class and more just a total disinterest right like if my business model if i have enough labor supply to pull from that this doesn't matter then it does matter you know i mean part of that comes from not seeing these people as deserving uh humane living and working conditions but at the end of the day it's just like i'm going to get away with as low a cost on both you know any expenditure related to labor right so not just wages but also the entire infrastructure of hr and anything else that is going to have to go to servicing those workers um, but yeah absolutely on some level it is about a sort of disdain or disgust or fear um i mean but it's so incredible because the opposite has just been happening for years at amazon where workers who are in fact injured on the job or have disabilities have legal rights to these breaks don't get them at all. So the idea that people would be taking sick leave all the time when they don't need it is just has never been borne out by the facts at all, especially at Amazon. Of course. Um, so I want to read from your from from your article a little bit, right? Uh, so another couple of examples. So these the, you mentioned the New York Times earlier, right? It says workers at as many as 180 Amazon warehouses were paid incorrectly for more than a year, uh, with an internal report finding that Amazon had been shortchanging uh, new parents parents. Uh, patients dealing with medical crises and vulnerable workers on leave. 
attendant software frequently marking people as no-shows and firing them even when they're on medical leave, workers being unable to access case managers, spend their entire break talking to HR, and workers who never receive incorrectly dock pay nor gain reinstatement uh, after being fired. And how people seem to manage to get redress, I mean, this is only anecdotal, right? How it, how it seems to work is if they can get outside the institution and publicly embarrass a senior person, then they'll get, then there are some anecdotal cases. I've got sort of notes here. By showing that he had a party, yeah. for example. <laughs> well, they'll, then get, <laughs> they'll then get a call, an apology, all their doc pay reinstated. And it shows that they can do this. It's just you have to like go outside this, la- this almost iron layer of enforced stupidity or not, not again, like stupidity in terms of refusing to know something, right? Yeah, we replaced our HR department with a sort of like uh, imperial system of petitioning. Mm. Well, this again makes me think about the way that the British system is constituted, right? Because it's kind of like knifey spoony, like as in you kind of like all the. I mean, this is a super banal example, and obviously, like there are like these policies, as you said, by the DWP are employed like super violently in ways that lead to people actually being killed by the by their consequences. But even on just like the banal level that anyone could experience, like if you try and book a doctor's appointment at my doctor's surgery. When you call them, there is an automated message that says, we're experiencing a high number of calls today, so we're only accepting calls that are an emergency. And then you call, and every day it says that. And so eventually you just stay on the line, because you're like, well, if it's going to say this every day, and then they pick up the phone and they say, is this an emergency? Because we're only taking emergency calls. And then basically what you need to say to get a doctor's appointment is, yeah, but you say that every day. And if you say that every day, eventually it's an emergency. And then they go, ah, I see you've played knifey spoony before. You can have a doctor's (laughs) appointment. And so it's basically the same with your HR thing at Amazon. You just have to like go outside, do some like chicanery, and then eventually like, ah, I guess you can have have your rights. I mean, that I, that does remind me of like the classic case in the United States, at least where this is has long been true, is journalists role in sort of getting redress for people who are incorrectly billed for medical services. Like you'll see some horror story in Vox or The New York Times about someone who was given like a hundred thousand dollar hospital bill or you know otherwise had their benefits cut off. But only if they get a writer in a mainstream outlet to write about that does then you know, the system overwrites itself, right? You have the people at the insurance company or whatever reach out and say, actually, we'll cancel it. So yeah, it's the same thing. If Amazon workers like can get some journalists to talk about their problem, then you can have an executive or a high level manager at Amazon go into the system and just overwrite the bots, right? And fix the issue. Uh, But they're not willing to do that. We need an equal number of journalists (laughs) to Amazon workers. We need to, like, I'm like the sort of like, I've gone more Mass Iglesias than Mass Iglesias. We need 300 million journalists. No, it's, um, it's, America needs to adopt the British model of just having hundreds of thousands of columnists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but, um, so the example of this that I was able to find, right, is if you recall, uh, there were recently a number of tornadoes at an Amazon distribution center in Illinois, um, and a number of people called and said, there's a tornado warning, I won't come in, I can't come into work. Um, to which Amazon responded basically, we don't recognize tornado warnings, We don't, or, or at least we don't recognize yeah, this I, one. I, I don't believe in any yeah. of that. <laughs> we're like, oh, tornado, <laughs> tornadoes are in your head. Jeff um, Bezos as King Canute. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fucking, I don't believe the tornado will strike and, my way. But also uh, has banned workers from carrying cell phones, even though those cell phones often contain crucial tornado warning information in areas where that's very important, right? And, um, you know, uh, what, what happened was someone said, I, there, is a, there is literally a... Uh, they said that she tweeted this. 
uh, at Dave Clark, an executive at Amazon. I'm an Amazon worker in, t- in a Kentucky. Tornado hit two miles from my house and I physically couldn't get to work for my shift. The ERC teams, the, the human resources team essentially, told me that they had no record of tornadoes in Kentucky and couldn't help me not getting and couldn't help me with not getting attendance time reduced for today. And so before she tweeted at Dave Clark, she would call and call and call and as you say, Alex, either be kept on hold forever or just say, there literally is a tornado warning. I can see it from outside my house and have HR say, I don't believe you. Uh, and then she reaches out to a guy who's got like a LinkedIn style Avi on Twitter who's like, I don't know, head of uh, f- head of fucking, I don't know, like, um, 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 uh, like head of not doing evil stuff. Head, head, um, of, head of lighting sure. at Amazon Prime that made guy, for TV that movies. That guy, Dave Clark. Yeah. Dave Clark early in his Amazon career was nicknamed the Sniper. Oh, I remember hi- this guy. Yes, he would hide in the warehouse and try to find workers who weren't working hard enough so he could fire them. Amazing, and of course he was so. in the Dave Clark Five. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, and so right. only after reaching out to Dave Clark and basically publicly embarrassing him, getting like getting just having that tweet go sort of semi-viral. Right, your only- easygoing rock music's not very good. She then, <laughs> she then finally got a call back. And this is a quote from, from Leslie Campbell, the worker. The person seemed suddenly very, very excited. An HR rep said uh, that uh, I w- they would excuse my Saturday shift and pay for the 11 hours I missed. Uh, Campbell, this is from an article in NBC, said she was shocked that Amazon would even give, ba- give her back the time and pay her and even repeated it back on the phone to be sure it wasn't a mistake. She 100% believed she would have been fired if Clark didn't see her tweet. Um, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to put you in a system, and what the system says, you do. The human element of, of it is missing, and this is sad. And so she managed to. And so it it took basically intercession, right, by by an executive to get to get Amazon's HR department to acknowledge reality, basically, mm. right. Um, and yeah, the HR department said that uh, they didn't know she was saying there was a tornado. They couldn't hear her over all that wind. Yeah. <laughs> and so, right. I will just say, you know, in that case, there's there's many horrible and interesting things that came out of that um, tornado that hit that facility. But one was that almost every worker who was operating out of that facility was not directly employed by Amazon. They were third party contractors. So they were especially delivery drivers. And so they had to try to petition their bosses who work for these small kind of independent, you know, co- these companies that pretty much exist solely to s- to service Amazon and those companies not to excuse them because the, they're horrific text messages where they're telling the driver, no, you have to stay on the road. You have to keep going, you know, until my boss tells me otherwise. But the thing is, those companies themselves are too terrified of bucking Amazon's directive that they just also then add another layer of person who is going to absolutely just follow whatever Amazon's pre-existing standard is. And they don't want to say anything different or allow any flexibility. So you just have yet another layer of bureaucracy to go through in a case of emergency and, like that. And I kind of wanted to ask, sort of coming to the point of all of this, right? We say like what this kind of sort of like layer of weaponized stupidity between um, uh, the, the people working for Amazon and Amazon, right? That's what it, we, we can say like yeah, what it accomplishes for them, as you say, is just they want to invest the minimum in this that they possibly can and don't want to have anyone hired to do it. Does it sort of, do you think it serves any other purpose or is it just like, is, or is it literally just a case of we don't want to try at this and we know that we can get away with not doing it? I mean, I do tend to think that's basically it. I mean, people sort of discuss is the turnover rate at Amazon intentional 
there's some degree to which it is, you know, it helps them to not have workers sticking around to actually try to organize or fight um, these bad conditions. So this accelerates that, of course, by just forcing people off the job rolls. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's necessarily some sort of malicious idea behind it. I really think this is a company that like Amazon is such a useful object of analysis because it really is sort of like, you know, capital embodied like out of a Marx book. Right. Like it really is operating solely for the basis of how do you enlarge the profit generation? And when we talk about them starting to sell these workplace management tools, I mean, Amazon just constantly looks inward and says, what are we doing that we could then export as a new object to sell? Um, and so I think this is all part of that. And, you know, to Amazon's benefit and to the sort of the, the worst for the rest of us, other people are buying, right? Everybody wants to operate like Amazon once it's normalized the sense that you can treat people this way. Yeah. How can I sell more sex dildos yeah. like you, Jeff Bezos? Yeah. Amazon linen coats. I, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Sex coats. So I almost want to come back to that, <laughs> California, that California law where you can see in the context of like what we're talking about here, that's definitely a step in the right direction, right? But there is this I, I I would say it's like it's one of these things where the again the fundamental relationship that Amazon has with its workers is sort of one of I mean I think I'll revise my earlier my earlier statement. It's not even so much sort of fear and disdain, it's impunity. Um and you know, the uh as as much as, as sort of governing specifically like warehouse algorithms helps to deal with certain elements of impunity, the impunity goes much further than warehouse algorithms. I mean, even if we just restrict ourselves to algorithms, we can talk about the HR ones. You know, and it's and as you say in your article again, I mean, go back to sort of plagiarizing your words here. Um, that it's it is a strong legislative agenda uh, that can only be carried out with workers themselves organized inside the warehouses to monitor enforcements of such measures, uh, holding contracts that upend Amazon's dictatorial control over their every movement. Uh, that company control is what creates the intolerable, dangerous pressure that leads to such high injury rates and ultimately forces many workers to leave Amazon jobs. Within weeks, much before much before much of anything can change, I guess I think you can sort of think about that as extending to the um, extending to the way that they treat their workers from an HR perspective as well. It's it's the same culture of impunity, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and I should bring up since we're talking so much about that HR article, um, which I have to say was one of the few that I was really worried Amazon was going to get extremely mad at me about. Um, but fortunately, uh, things seem okay right now. Um, they really don't like you talking to their HR employees. But the the end irony of that article is, as it sort of ends the piece itself, is that this woman was so ground up by the incredible overwork she was subject to. I mean, she told me she was working until like four in the morning, six days a week, sometimes seven, um, that she ends up so depressed that she's not even eating anymore. And her doctor tells her she has to quit Amazon, right? And her family says the same thing. And she goes on a disability leave, a mental health leave, that gets approved by the system that she has spent her entire year at Amazon being the one answering the calls for other people seeking to use that system. Um, And she thinks she's on leave. She thinks she's approved. And she starts getting emails from Amazon automated saying, you're no, you're, you know, no call, no showing you're, you are now fired. And she actually does have to similarly appeal up to, she called it her boss's boss's boss. She sends him an email and only he then steps in and fixes it for her. Um, so, yes, I mean, it's from top to bottom, you know, left to right, as far as how Amazon is sort of just churning through people and the sense of, of impunity. Absolutely. Um, which is why Amazon, like so many other employers, especially in the United States, resists the even the concept of a union, not because a union 
is going to be incredibly strong. But the sense that anyone else has the right to have a say over these conditions really does threaten Amazon's mm. basic model. What I find interesting about something like that is that, like, you know, Amazon, for all of their faults, they're quite good at, like, software and technology stuff. So why do they have a system that works so badly? Like, it almost seems to me as though having an entirely computerized system, you would expect less errors. You would expect, okay, it's logged in the computer system that I am on leave, and therefore the computer system knows that. Whereas if you told your boss, but then your boss didn't tell the other guy whose job it is to fire people, that would make a manual system would make more sense for why there would be that kind of error, because people are stupid and they forget things and they don't talk to each other. Whereas the all-seeing eye computer system, if anything, should be better at not missing that shit. But the there's a there's a there's a there's the eye the eye is very occluded because you know you don't want to give that eye LASIK because you don't care about it's a that lazy eye. eye. You don't care about what it's really <laughs> looking at you because you know everything they're looking at is totally replaceable. So mm. it doesn't yeah. matter if it's right you, or not. The, the kind of surveillance that matters is the kind that stops people from like stealing your packages off of the line, yeah. or something like that, right? Mm. It's yeah. not or the like, kind of it's not the kind of surveillance that stops you from you know killing your workers with a tornado. Yeah, or the kind of surveillance uh, that means that when you purchase you know some pencils from Amazon, it like it asks whether you want a sex dildo mm. as well. Or, yeah. More Based often, on your previous the same purchases. packet of pencils again the next day. Oh, I don't know. Are you <laughs> hungry for pencils, you little slut, you little pervert? You want more pencils? Is this what you're into? Yeah, run out of pencils. Well, yeah. I think, but, I, but, I, but I think there's like a good point in that. And, and, and again, it's like, it's very similar to um, how even with like some social platforms, how they treat like users that aren't influencers and stuff, right? Or like those types of systems, which is very much, well, if you're kind of, if if the goal is just to kind of like expand users and like get kind of get those numbers up in the same, and I guess maybe in a similar way with Amazon, because the number, because you can like re, in theory, like replace workers, like low wage workers very easily. then why would you invest in the system that like helps them or like kind of like creates a, or like can facilitate at least a tolerable working environment? Um, so like you kind of create the bare minimum and then everything else, like all the stuff that doesn't work is just kind of passed off as like an externality and crucially an externality that like somewhere like Amazon can very easily like afford to like handle. Well, I also think it's, it's important to remember, right, is the, the HR systems even working well are never designed to help you. They're still instruments of control. It's just, this is, I would think very, this is the control of someone who doesn't care if that control hurts you. Right. Mm. Yeah, and it's, and and will also kind of be like, well, it's your fault if like you didn't understand yeah. how the system worked, or it's your fault for like not checking. Yeah, on exactly. It. And I mean, it's it's it, that's that's what and that's why I, I, one of the reasons I go back to why I think it's important to talk and think about Amazon as well, right? Because like 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 we said, this is this uh, this doesn't stop there, right? The the Amazon Amazon might not it might not have invented sort of a digital boss. but they certainly figured out how to profit from it most, and their model is now the one that is. That other people are looking at, and it does, and and that's why I would think like the idea, the idea of how to stop or resist them is sort of so becomes so central to thinking about labor generally, right? Because if you want to look into the future, that's what it is, right? Right. Hmm. I mean, this is my general ethos about Amazon and why I bother focusing on it. I mean, on some level, you can't write about labor in the United States and not talk a lot about Amazon. Just a numbers game. They're employing you know a million people. Um, but they are forging one possible future, right? And I think uh, it's it's very bleak to accept that because they're doing they're winning, right? I mean, the forces that would build a different future remain incredibly disorganized and weak. Um, but it is the case that, like I said, you know, Amazon sort of is the vanguard of capital, and the other places 
most, both major corporations and also smaller businesses, you know, especially during the pandemic, are looking to Amazon and saying, how do we remotely and algorithmically handle HR and job performance? How can we, as our workers are far away, let's think about what it would look like to automate these processes so we can control people where, wherever they happen to be. Um, so everything is sort of fall, it's everything's coming up Amazon um, for <laughs> Jeff Bezos, especially over the past two years. Um, and so I think, yeah, there is value because it really does lead the trend. And the fact that it strips itself of every one of its services to then say, how do we then um, package this and sell it to other employers? That's going to keep happening. I mean, AWS was such a success for Amazon in that respect. And all of its AI sort of experiments, its use with, uh, you know, Amazon Turk, all that stuff, you know, the the value for Amazon is always that it gets to look at the data um, and the transactions that happen on its platform or its, you know, quote unquote marketplace. And then it looks at that data and says, how can we sell this information that we've now learned about how people operate and how people interact? And uh, and I think that's that's a, as good a place as any, in fact, I think, to sum it all up and uh, leave it all in the past in podcast land. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just want to say, Alex, number one, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It has been a delight talking to you. No, I love ha- I love talking to you guys. Wow. It's been great. Thank you. And, and please also uh, don't forget uh, to check out uh, Primer, uh, which is a-, a podcast on all things Amazon. It's worth listening to. And also uh, to check out, of course, Alex's writing in Jacobin on uh, sort of these and other issues of uh, labor and union journalism. Lest you fall foul of the trash future all-seeing eye, which we'll right. be checking if you have been reading Alex's articles. <laughs> uh-huh, that's right. If you don't read Alex's articles, uh, then uh, you will be... Uh, then we, we will use our algorithmic ability uh, to manage things in order to get all of your deliveries a little bit wrong for a month. That's right. Yeah, well, no, what we'll do is when you order pencils from Amazon, we'll send you, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. keep recommending you Alex's articles. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe you meant this. Yeah, the uh, Hermes guy <laughs> is going to throw your box of sex dildos over the garden gate and leave them out there in the rain. Mm-hmm, to embarrass yeah. you. <laughs> so, yeah. and, then, and then all your neighbors are going to see it. And you're the prime minister. What's that? Another scandal. Um, <laughs> and you're at your party, but there are no sex dildos. No, actually, to be fair, to be fair, if like, if, if like it was discovered that he had like Boris Johnson does have a box of sex dildos, Dildos, I think that would actually like take his poll numbers oh, up. Yeah, um, because the British people do love they do love yeah, weird sex. Yeah, they just don't like yeah, talking about he's it. Wicked. Yeah, it's like oh, he's a he's a wicked lad. Yeah, they the would LAG say. LAG prime minister. Yeah, he he's a he's the kind of guy I would go to like uh go go to one of the dogging spots near the M4 with um and hang out and have a beer. Unlike Keir Starmer. Um, who would be very awkward in that Written situation. such a grim place. See, I like the idea that his poll numbers are going down because the party looked lame. Yeah. Like, if it was an <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut-style party, he would be doing great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe if I vote for him, he'll in- they'll- then they'll invite me. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, thank you again, Alex, for coming on. Don't forget, uh, there is a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. It is a mere $5. Uh, five American classic greenbacks yeah, uh, per right. month. You get a second episode every week. You know the mm. deal. Um, I believe this week we've decided to venture back into the land of cinema uh, to watch the strange direct-to-Netflix Guy Ritchie film, The Gentleman. I've seen five minutes it's of good. it. Oh, oh, it's a good it's film. fucking Hugh Grant doing a geezer voice. Thank you. Yeah, speaking of guys who've attended an orgy, Hugh Grant doing a geezer <laughs> voice. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, uh, so I think that's about it. Anyway, we'll see you in a few days in the bonus. Bye, bye everyone. Bye. 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 Later.